Hello and welcome to India Speak, the Center for Policy Research's podcast series. I'm Yamini Ayer and joining me today is Shailendra Sharma, Education Advisor to the Government of Delhi. Um, but we're not going to talk with Shailendra today about his role um, in education uh, and the education reform story of uh, Delhi, which is actually a podcast, Shailendra, we must record uh, at some point sooner than later. Uh, but today we are going to talk to Shailendra about uh, the pandemic and his experience as a uh, insider, outsider within the Delhi government's administration, responding to the crisis as it unfolded in those very very, very dark and difficult days of April 2021, when the second wave hit. Uh, Shailendra spent uh, a significant amount of his time in early April away from his regular duties as education advisor, working and supporting the oxygen control room that was set up in response to the crisis in the middle of April. I want to discuss with Shailendra what it was like to be in the thick of that control room. Uh, not only were we confronting a crisis of deep, deep distress, one that was deeply personal for most of us residents of Delhi, uh, because there probably wasn't a single family or single individual whose friends and family were not badly affected by this crisis. But there were also larger concerns of managing the health system in the midst of uh, constant SOSs about lack of basic supplies and most importantly, oxygen. So what was it like to be a frontline worker in the middle of this crisis? How did the government react? What did it mean? What were the kinds of stresses that Shailendra himself confronted? What were the big challenges they saw? And what did they do to slowly resolve the crisis and ensure that hospitals and patients had access to what they needed um, in order to be able to recover from the ravages of COVID-19? Shailendra, thank you so much for joining us and a very, very warm welcome to you on the CPR podcast. Thank you, Yamini, for inviting me. Thank you. Shailendra, so I really want our listeners to get a bird's eye perspective of what it was like. If you could just talk to us about how you came to the oxygen control room um, and what was happening uh, in those first early dark days when the SOSs started. So Yamini, as you rightly described, my role with the government was that of an education advisor. Um, but uh, from the second week of April, in fact, towards the later part of the first week, the entire focus of the government was uh, getting concentrated to respond to the emerging COVID situation as a result of the second wave. So, um, so when when things started building up, it was because I was I was closely involved with the with the, with the government. I could see what it is leading up to. And um, anyone who was available at that point uh, was was needed uh, to 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 support that effort because as you as you know, I mean the impact this time was such huge that even the people who were who were from the health department or who were like working in the in this segment were themselves getting affected. Many of the officers you will hear, you'll talk uh, the previous day and you'll have here the next day, day that somebody has turned positive, somebody is moving to the hospital, somebody is recovering at home. So as a result, what what was uh, what remained was to, to basically to respond 
to that situation and i told myself if if i am uh, so to say fortunate enough not to be counting my own oxygen uh, saturation level then then it makes a, they, they, it is time for me to step in to to support the effort of the oxygen control room that was set up, set up so so that is how i moved to that uh, control room to assist the work which was which was already going on there Shailendra, can I just ask you to so just tell us a little bit about that oxygen control room? What was it? Um, uh, when was it set up? Uh, and uh, who was sort of leading the, the the activities inside that control room? So I would say oxygen control room actually uh, evolved. Some form of that control room came into existence around uh, the first week of April. Uh, but it is started building up somewhere after 14th uh, April. So, so there are three dates which are very important in this entire discourse: 14th April, 15th April, and 16th April. So, this is the time when the oxygen as a real crisis started emerging. And 16th April was the date when the government of India stepped in to regulate the oxygen distribution to various states. So I would say that 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 was a time when oxygen control room started taking shape because as a result of it, what was required was to ensure that the oxygen which is allocated to the state as per the quota uh, is, is actually actually lifted, brought to Delhi, and distributed. So I would say that from 16th around 15th, 16th, this control room started taking shape, and as we proceeded, as the gravity of the situation uh, deepened. Uh, we had more and more people joining in, and more and more uh, distribution of work in the control room room also started uh, happening. So I would say from the middle of April till until say middle of May, that was one month when the oxygen control room was at its peak. And uh, how was it organized and structured? Who was leading the activities and what was the coordination? It was the government of India stepped in on the 16th of April to regulate the quotas, uh, but there was lifting of the oxygen and ensuring its distribution across the hospital. So just give us a, just, just you know, to contextualize uh, the, the, the daily goings on in, inside that control room, uh, just give us a little bit of an understanding of the structure. So, uh, so I'll, I'll I'll divide my response into three parts, Yamini. First, first key, as you as you would recollect that when the during first wave, like last year, we had rarely heard about oxygen as a as a major issue. The the thing is that the hospitals, both government as well as private, operate with with uh, supplies including medicine and other accessories. Which is which is uh, they do through the through the manufacturers through through the through their own vendors. Oxygen too was in the similar category. So all the, all the hospitals that you have here in Delhi, uh, and I'm I guess that would be the case all over the country as well, uh, have their own supplier of oxygen lined up, and it is it is provided to them as liquid medical oxygen in a container, which are big hospitals. Or it 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 is supplied to them through uh, cylinders. So this was a mechanism which which is like a private arrangement between the hospital and the concerned manufacturer. So that is how it has been going on till fourteenth April. And I would say that that fourteenth April was a day in Delhi when the big surge happened. 
that was the day when the total positive uh, cases active positive cases crossed 50000 for the first time 50050 and uh, the total number of of single day case on that day was 17000 plus over a period of time that reached up to say 28000 also on a single day but that that marked the watershed day and to give you uh, the context when this happened on 14th april the next day that is 15th april uh, hospitals needed more oxygen and they could quickly assess their suppliers and they got more oxygen so just to get the context the, the daily requirement was somewhere in the range of 170 metric ton to 220 metric ton but on 415th they needed 300 plus and they got that but when the 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 demand increased from all over the country this uh, this distribution uh, and the lifting of oxygen needed to be regulated and therefore the government of india uh, stepped in now what happened in the case of delhi was that this oxygen control room it was more in the form of supply insuring so when the the, the allocation was made it was more like the, the plant which has been allocated how the oxygen is going to be lifted from there uh so this part was led by um, a young ias officer udit prakash who was also principal Sec- principal secretary health so in his role as principal secretary health and because he was also director of education so i have i've been working with him closely so that is how i could see that that, that our entire discussion during that time would be that of oxygen so he was responsible for making sure that the supply which is allocated actually reaches delhi and then once you have that set up in place the other part was distribution of oxygen within the uh, within delhi among the hospitals and the the retailers and then that part was uh, allocated to another ias officer uh, vijay vidhuri who who had the charge of managing director delhi transport corporation and i think it was a very strategic choice of having vijay vidhuri as a, as a, in charge of distribution because he has with him at his disposal fleet of uh, dtc buses and dtc bus driver and the entire staff there and in the distribution as, as you would know a uh, lot of route planning movement of the vehicle is required so he was he was just the right person to handle that and then vijay vidhuri and udit prakash both created their own team and this team uh, came into being uh, which we now know as oxygen control room and it started functioning 24/7 um, so so there was a supply part to it and there was a distribution part and both of them uh, kind of say with a lot of coordination among them ensured that 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 is taken care of so in that phase so uh, it seems from your description that by about the 16th of april uh, a structure had been put in place uh, for managing the lifting of the oxygen from uh, the from the site um, and then uh, ensuring effective distribution but if i am not wrong by about the 20th or 21st of april uh, there seemed to be a significant supply crunch and the hospitals started raising sos can you describe to us uh, what was happening inside the control room when those midnight sos's started so what happened as a result of this allocation was as i described earlier 
कि देर वॉज अ प्री एग्जिस्टिंग अरेन्जमेंट बिटवीन हॉस्पिटल एंड देयर सप्लायर्स फॉर द फॉर ऑक्सीजन बट वेन वेन री एलोकेशन न्यू प्लांट्स एंड लोकेशन वर एलोकेटेड मोस्ट ऑफ दीज प्लांट्स डिड नॉट हैव अ प्री एग्जिस्टिंग सप्लाई रूट सो टू गिव यू एन एग्जाम्पल द सप्लाई टू डेली यूज टू कम फ्रॉम प्लांट्स लोकेटेड इन से फरीदाबाद पानीपत समबरिंग डिस्ट्रिक्ट ऑफ उत्तराखंड यूपी so you can you were getting oxygen from the plant which was like say 100 to 200 km from from delhi border uh, but when reallocation happened the quota was allocated to different plants so as the build up happened uh, and and also there was a situation where the the oxygen demand was also surging so when the first allocation happened um, on 16th uh, april Delhi was allocated 300 metric ton of oxygen. Shailendra, can I just sorry, just one question there because this allocation of oxygen became quite an issue, and and ultimately the courts had to step in. Uh, what was the basis on which this 300 metric ton allocation was made? Was there any consultation, deliberation with the government, or was it an uh, a decision made by government of India? So, so there was like a some kind of this this basis also changed as the time progressed. uh it was it was like prior usage and some projected demand uh so so that is how it was allocated and then over a period of time it started get getting balanced ki how much other states would be requiring how much which one would be uh, requiring so i wouldn't say that there was some any consistent basis of allocation now you must understand that there were two different kind of formula that was that was adopted one was allocation which was based upon projected demand and the and all and once you were getting the oxygen the reallocation was allocation to hospitals was being made on the basis of of usage and the pro- projected usage so it was quite complicated situation at that but the but the allocation was not in sync with emerging demand because the numbers kept swelling so any any calculation that you do based upon the previous days things and also availability um, at different plant that may not work the next day so that is why there were series of orders which were issued from 16th april onwards raising the the allocation as things pro- progressed but i would say it was never like whatever delhi at one point of time projected that based upon the realistic estimate now our requirement is that of 700 metric ton which was and 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 it 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 gave its entire calculation to the high court when this matter was agitated and the high court was convinced that delhi's actual need is that of 700 metric ton and it directed the central government to make sure that those were made available at delhi border but but only on one particular day during this entire uh, what you say situation that delhi actually received more than 700 metric ton in fact that the last order which was uh, issued by the government it allocated 590 metric ton and even that getting that um, oxygen uh, was also a nightmare because what was there was ki those oxygen were allocated to plants say located in jharkhand in odisha in west bengal there was no supply chain from these locations to delhi for oxygen so as a result you have to think on your feet 
to ensure it was not just about allocation of oxygen it was also actually lifting oxygen from those places and bringing it so and the sites the sites of where supply was to come from uh, those again were determined by government of india or the uh, or, or the courts no the, the, that was that was determined entirely by the government of india so so the, the government of india allocated and and uh, those plants which were manufacturing plants were directed to um, i mean this, this uh, supply allocation uh, Uh, order was issued and provided now when the courts stepped in uh, the responsibility was started getting fixed ki who is going to make sure and delhi ex- uh, court accepted delhi's argument that because we do not have our own manufacturing things and the plants have been allocated which is like way beyond delhi's things so it should be the responsibility of the central government to make sure that those oxygen actually reach the border of delhi once it comes to delhi it should be the responsibility of the delhi government to judiciously distribute it but bringing it up to the border of delhi should be the responsibility of central government so indian railway uh, also stepped in to make sure that that supply uh, is 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 coordinated so uh, and in in all of this as they as these logistics were being uh, worked out hospitals uh, and uh, citizens had begun to raise alarm bells uh, so how did you then manage uh, that process so uh, before i answer that let me step little back once the even the allocation was made and the supply uh, uh, route was determined Indian railway was ready to run as many trains as required but the bigger issue yamini at that point was the availability of adequate number of container and tankers uh this is not like a, you're not bringing say some some it is oxygen is highly inflammable um, uh, element so it has to be in a particular kind of container and tanker and there weren't enough container and tankers within india to meet everyone's uh, requirement and in other states which were manufacturing states we also got the news that that uh, those which were available also were getting appropriated by the state governments for their own uh, real or imagined usage so the problem was that of container or tanker and i remember in one of the meeting at one point of time one of the leading manufacturer of oxygen telling the government you see we can step up our our oxygen manufacturing like anything you tell us how much is required we will be able to augment our production capacity but 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 there but there, there aren't enough container to take it and these trains which are going to bring uh, oxygen from from say uh, jharkhand uh, odisha and west bengal they would take 30 to 36 hours to reach delhi and then you have the whole decanting process which takes its own time before it finally reaches uh, the the hospital so that was the complication at that point of time now coming back to the question that you raised so so as a result when when the numbers started rising uh, this was unprecedented time i mean if you remember last year the message from the government was or even the medical fraternity uh, that that not Uh, anybody who is called covid positive doesn't require to be in hospital unless you are showing some other signs of it uh, so as a result the hospitalization rate um, was not as high but this time because of the variant that was there um, 
at one point of time more than 20% of the active cases were actually in hospital and those which were reaching hospital the first thing that they would be requiring more is the oxygen supply because when your saturation level dropped below 90 that was the time when when you actually needed to be hospitalized and there were cases where oxygen saturation level was even dropping below 80 so oxygen became a very important commodity at that point of time in 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 hospital and as i described earlier the supply was erratic uh so uh, so whatever a supply was available to whatever uh, material was available to hospitals they had to then use it uh, among the patients that they had already got um, of all the patients which were admitted in the hospital for covid nearly 25% at one point of time were in icu icu requires much more oxygen than the other uh, ward so the oxygen requirement was surging supply was indifferent so so therefore this crisis started emerging and we would get sos calls like anything so delhi control room set up a dedicated helpline number with 10 floating lines which was active round the clock and its role was basically to uh, uh, note down the sos understand the gravity of the situation and respond uh, because we had by that time started keeping some oxygen in reserve to respond to those hospitals need where we calculated that based upon what they received uh, last time and how much they would have used by that time they are really headed for crisis so that is how this uh, control room started responding to the sos shelendra describe for us uh, the the mood and the tension uh, when these sos calls started coming from uh, fr- from the hospitals i i think it's important for all of us to understand uh the the context uh and and the 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 nature of the crisis that all of you had to experience and live through as you were also desperately trying to search for sensible solutions to what seemed to be an in uh, uh, an almost irresolvable crisis so i would say uh it was nothing sort like a war control room at that point uh there were two set of functions which were happening one was securing supply from the plants which were allocated uh getting the the nearby plants which were like say uttarakhand uh, haryana and and up uh where we was we started sending our own tankers which were taken from the suppliers from delhi whichever were registered in delhi getting those uh, supplies lifted from those plants which was an herculean effort i'll describe a little later uh, about that but the oxygen distribution part where these containers were reaching uh, were, were being sent to hospitals now there were a team of about 30 people roughly um, under uh, vijay vidudi who was responsible for distribution this team was receiving sos so there were floating call and at any point of the time within 24 hours when you go there this was like a buzzing uh, place calls were constantly coming you could see on the monitor uh, the the calls were flashed uh, the uh, requirement from those hospitals were mentioned there and somebody making calculations somebody trying to see which is the nearest place from where the supply can be rushed uh multiple calls coming from there was this sos line then there were people tagging on twitter which was being monitored 
uh, and there was like a news rooms flashing uh, the breaking news that this supply is running out in this particular hospital in next uh, 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 hour or so and it was so much a judgment call and uh, if you look at the faces of people who were there i mean ki there were people who had not slept for days uh, right there and in those rooms making quick calculation calling up up our own drivers giving instructions that that this place needs to be reached lining up police where there was also situation of say rioting or looting um, if the vehicle goes there so it was it was like a complete everybody was on their on their toes at that point and uh, and 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 there was also a palpable tension because it was it was like a like a touch and go situation also in many cases and what also started happening at that point was ki many hospitals even if they have supply left for say next 10 hours they would raise an alarm that it is getting over in next 2 hours uh, i wouldn't blame them because they were apprehensive ki maybe in 10 hours they would get or not because of the uncertainty over there so uh, raising that alarm and raising that alarm through different channels so but what this team started doing was collating all the information that was coming so that you know that that the same request is coming for the same hospital from different sources so you you need not react to all of them you have to make a realistic assumption about how much oxygen is left there and at what what point of time they need uh, their supply to be augmented so this was the work which was doing the distribution uh, which, which was being done by the distribution team wow and i remember when we spoke in the middle of this uh, you also talked to me about some of the hospital visits that you were making uh, at the time as well uh, could you also give us a sense of uh, what it felt like to walk into those hospitals of course everyone must have come rushing to you and the team because you were the only lifeline that uh, hospitals and patients had um what were the kinds of issues that were being brought up when you would go there so um in in that period uh, uh manish sodia ji who's who's deputy chief minister of delhi was also uh, made in charge of covid response and he along with the health minister satendra jain um started making rounds of the hospitals because we uh, realized that Uh, that a no, it's not just about say distribution but also standing with our hospitals standing with the doctors um, and and medical staff which was which was handling the situation on the ground it was important that senior people from the government uh, go there um, not just to assure them to give them confidence but also to make a realistic estimate as to how and and also talk to those to the doctor as to how with limited supply uh the situation can be better managed so uh, they started making rounds of the hospital so every day both of them uh, the health minister and the deputy chief minister would visit hospitals they even uh, put up their ppe kits and walked uh, in the covid wards uh, of the hospitals because as you know uh, these wards are severely i mean not many people would um, feel confident getting into that uh, but but then they started moving into those hospitals talking to the nursing staff as to what 
um, is the shortage and how they would want uh, to be supported in that. So I think this visits to the hospitals, talking directly to, 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 to the medical staffs, getting engaged directly with the con control room across the time, gave a very good understanding of the ground situation. And the people who were risking their life and giving everything to save the situation also felt confident that their leadership is with them. So I think it worked both ways. Um, and this assurance by the, by, 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 by the top uh, functionaries of the government went a long way in boosting the morale. I was, I was in control room at that point and I could see how, uh, how people were uh, people feeling confident about it. And uh, in between all of this, you know, you spoke a little bit about the role of the courts uh, in fixing responsibility in uh, or, or particularly around the question of allocation of quotas in uh, bringing in some transparency into the process. And a committee was also set up, uh, if I recall right, sometime in, in late April, early May. Um, and then you also mentioned a little bit about uh, the state, uh, you know, the, the, the supply being located uh, in states that were at a distance and states too jostling to be able to ensure that they could protect what they, they felt they needed uh, in their states. Um, what is your sense of, you know, how do, so I guess there are two separate questions, uh, but let me me pose them to you and you know you can answer them together one after another it it seemed to me uh, as well as a observer from the outside and a victim of uh, of of the uh, of covid and the situation that was unfolding at the time that one uh, what was really missing uh, in this whole uh, oxygen story in particular was good uh, state to state coordination in the sense that Delhi's requirement was X, uh, and it is, you know, Delhi's requirement was X for reasons that doctors and scientists will tell us. Uh, other states um, at that point were not experiencing the same kind of uh, surge uh, as Delhi was. Um, and uh, it, it could have been possible potentially for that period of time for these neighboring states to release some of their quota for Delhi. So Delhi had access. Um, and on the on the promise and commitment that as and when uh, they need it, Delhi would also support them. And I felt consistently that that state to interstate coordination was missing, perhaps because there is no institutional platform for this. But um, that was a big missing link um, in, in, the in the entire nature of the response and what I think also sought, ended up accelerating the crisis in and of itself. And the other thing that I'm sort of I, I would like for us to reflect on a little bit is about the role of the courts. I mean, we've in in the old days, pre-crisis days, um, you know, there's been a very vibrant discussion in, in India about the extent to which the Indian courts are interventionist, placing themselves in the midst of what are essentially administrative and occasionally political decisions, uh, sometimes leading to very bad consequences. But it did also seem that at, the, at a time when 
uh, we needed more transparency. We needed more action when citizens were feeling like they had been sort of uh, left to fend for themselves, that the courts actually stepping in helped to address a lot of these uh, difficult pain points and huge bottlenecks, particularly around uh, transparency of allocation of resources, etc. So what does this tell us about the role of the courts in a moment of crisis? And um, how does administration, I'm not politics, how does administration respond to the courts? So these are the two sort of reflective questions I'd like to, you to reflect on. As I said, they're two slightly different questions. Pick and choose which ones you want to pick, their answer and how. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite a, a long question and interwoven into, say, different aspects. But uh, I would say that, that key, when the crisis unfold, probably, uh, the chaos follows. So, so, and this was not a situation which anybody had anticipated that you will suddenly require such a huge amount of oxygen. Uh, of course, the signs were there, it was building, but it was not as if like anybody can say ki, six months before this situation, um, uh, people would have projected how much oxygen you would be requiring. I could say, say of any other matters, but not of say oxygen. Um, in fact, even the projected beds that were um, created to augment the existing capacities of the hospitals to take in the patients. Now, the, the assumption which was made, the amount of oxygen that you would be requiring was, was based upon what standard you saw in the previous wave or historically. So as a result, this is the calculation that continued for many time. Now it is being questioned, debated, and let's see what, what comes out of that that of all the, the, the number of beds in the hospitals for COVID patients, only 50% of the bed was projected to be requiring oxygen and that to say 10, um, uh, uh, 10 liters per minute uh, calculation. But we saw in the cases that anybody who was getting admitted in the hospital required that oxygen. So the initial projection that you are making of say 50%, but actually became that of 100%. So it was very difficult to then manage with, with whatever has been given to you. Now coming to the second part, when the new plant was allocated or even the existing plant from where Delhi's own supply was coming, that plant also got allocation to distribute oxygen to other states or the home states also. So we had like a initial few days, a kind of jungle raj at those plants because what some of the states did was to ask their DMs and uh, SPs to, to sit at the plant and make sure that the, uh, that the vehicle which, has, which is meant for say Delhi does not go. Instead, it should first distribute within their own state. So we had situation where our vehicles were stopped. Uh, on those plants, when they would queue up, uh, Delhi's turn would be like, you know, you can't fill. Your turn will come after, say, 10 hours. So those were the situation. It was, it was like quite a chaotic situation to begin with. And, but the point was that we were so grounded. What we did was we started sending our own nodal officers to those plants. Those nodal officers in the face of the state machinery could not have done much to change, but at least we were getting real-time information from them as to what was happening. 
and we started raising the alarm at different levels so there was this in, intergovernmental coordination um, group which was set up at the behest of the delhi high court where uh, the officers from the home ministry uh, were made personally responsible to ensure the those coordination so this issue started getting raised over there so over a period of time this situation started like settling down but the initial few days was like a like a like a like a fist fight to to get our supply there the the container the tanker which will move would be diverted in that that city to some other places so we had the situation where we get go ahead ki okay the container from panipat has left at 10 o'clock at night but you have no idea when it is going to reach because that has been diverted by the government of haryana to some other place so so that thing started happening and it took some some time to to settle but i would say that the delhi high court played a a great role in say um, um kind of arbitration i would say in in ensuring that the responsibilities are actually fixed and what helped the matter was what helped the matter was that uh, delhi because of its ground presence because of of its officers very regularly involved did a very meticulous calculation as to how we would uh, we can get our supplies and what is our requirement so so the court's role i would say was was very useful because in this kind of say federal setup where the states had jurisdiction over the area in which the plant is located they, have, they, they every state has invoked uh, disaster management act which has a very stringent provision so they can appropriate anything uh, which they deem necessary so in that space delhi's position became very weak because delhi was not a manufacturing state delhi did not have its own uh, manufacturing plant whatever supply was to come to delhi was that of from the other states so i remember in one of the proceedings the position was taken by somebody that the allocation has been made to delhi it is their responsibility to to lift it up and the court struck down that argument saying that delhi cannot do that because delhi doesn't have jurisdiction over other state so it is the responsibility of the central government then in that case to to make sure that the allocation reaches delhi border now from there onwards delhi's responsibility starts but having said that that was an that that was more like a umbrella and the framework part but the actual uh, what you say implementation of those directions is still required lot of government to government lot of officers to officer i would say coordination to make sure that that things move smoothly so with armed with this kind of a thing we were able to rope in delhi police and we could send our police personnel police personnel from delhi uh to those plants neighboring plants which which would then escort our uh, tankers up to the delhi border and within delhi also we could get the pcr which would escort because what was also happening was ki when the tanker would reach one particular hospital there would be another hospital nearby whose allocation would be coming from the different vehicle scheduled at different point of time would be willing to appropriate this vehicle so in order to to make sure that these vehicles move we had to rope in uh, police and administrative staffs were positions at different plants also so much so that even late in the during the later part in 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 um, locations like jhatsu gola or kalingnagar 
which is in in uh, Odisha. We sent our officers at the plant to basically make sure that there is no delay over there and the loading and unloading happens. So a lot of coordination was required among the officers of the central government, Delhi government, and the state government. And we could see that the, that coordination started taking shape more so as the things progressed and things started like settling down. But the initial few days was nothing sort of chaos. That's uh, Shailendra. Thank you so much for giving such a, a deep uh, insider perspective on on what was going on, um, and and really uh, you know taking us into that control room and and giving us an understanding of how complex uh, even simple logic what seems from the outside to be a simple logistical exercise really is. And Yamini, to add to that complexity, the, the thing was that everybody in that situation was also learning because what was happening ki i mean no no officer would would get into the detail ever ki how the oxygen is decanted in a particular hospital that was that was a highly technical kind of a thing so what what also started happening was ki when the container and tankers started coming from different part of the country i remember one set of one train with seven containers came from uh, from mundra port and those containers were those which were imported from middle east each of these seven containers had different nozzle fitting so once they reached delhi taking the, the oxygen from the, those container to our container was a herculean job and now anybody sitting outside would say what what the heck <laughs> i mean you have it here because you needed the right kind of nozzle to fit in now if you do not have that the nozzle will have to be made there you cannot make that projection ki which kind of container is coming to to you so small small theory things and and, and and frankly speaking for the first time in my life i understood the meaning of what it what they say that the devil lies in the details so so those details would would kind of say details so you have like those container taking it is taking 10 hours to decant because the nozzle is not fitting the right kind of technician which is required to make that nozzle may not be um, available over there and then everything is held up because you are not decanting it they are not being sent back quickly so those were the issues that were also also coming who would have thought you're absolutely right that so much of this is uh, is is about the detail and uh, uh, the the details always are the the key issues that cause the bottlenecks i, I remember watching on television the uh, oxygen tankers being uh, driven with police escort on all sides uh, thinking to myself what has the world come to um, but you know there was a very rational logical reason why that had to happen in that particular moment shailendra you spoke a little bit about uh, the lessons uh, the details of course uh, what i'm also learning from you um, the you know what the intergovernment became such an important thing um, nobody I think least of all uh, 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 frontline warriors like you would want a repeat of this uh, to ever happen again um, what are lessons that we must learn 
what have we learned you're still in at you're, you're still sitting in the thick of administration so you have probably have a much better view on what steps are being taken um but also beyond that uh if i can ask you uh to 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 you know give us a little bit of your insight into you 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 were you were now witness to uh the health system at its most critical moment if there were uh you know from a long term perspective uh what are things that we need to do to strengthen the health system what would be those one or two learnings that you picked up from this experience so i would i would say that there is like lot of scope for improvement in the health system uh even in in a in a non covid kind of a situation non crisis kind of a situation there is still scope of, for a lot to improve um having hospitals with with uh, uh, like we were discovering that that the own data management system in the in many of those hospitals were not great to begin with so in fact in the initial days it took a lot to kind of say calculate as to how much is the actual requirement of of, of this particular hospital so i think strengthening the capacity of the hospital to manage its own affair um, and i am not saying that only of the government hospitals but that of private hospitals also that is one area where a lot of um, thinking and planning has to happen uh, in terms of say hospital management the second area where i see is this, uh, is is lot of scope is expanding the network of hospitals so you have certain areas um the, the distribution is quite skewed now if i were to talk about delhi government uh, own things this this idea of mohalla clinics which is like a primary health center this is planned to uh, with a very spread uh, uh, kind of an approach so that almost every mohalla or the neighborhood has that kind of a clinic clinic i think a similar kind of exercise would be required to map they uh, create the tertiary health facilities specialization facilities distributed across the city and uh, for both private as well as the government hospital the management benchmark has to be established and i would i would bring in my um, education experience uh, I, education perspective into this like in the in the education you have the government school as well as the private schools but it is the re- the responsibility of the government to regulate uh the private schools the kind of fee that they would charge uh, the kind of curriculum that they would follow the qualification of the teachers uh all of these are regulated uh, by the by the government i think a similar robust i would not say i am not saying that that there doesn't it does not exist at the moment but i think those needs to be revisited uh to make it more contemporary uh, so i think i think a lot of work is required and also learning where there can be glitches like for example oxygen supply itself if you were to take in there can be small say uh, there can be uh, containers which which can be uh, set up in in big hospitals there can be um, uh, small manufacturing unit can also be created um, industrial oxygen cannot be manufactured in delhi uh because of the ngt regulation but 
small but hospitals can set up their own small plants uh, there are land requirement and safety protocols that are there in place but at least where there are there uh, there is a scope for doing that that can be done reserve facility needs to be created which is now being done so we have now like a reserve uh, facility which has been created in three government hospitals we we now have more uh, cylinders which have been imported this times because that can always be kept in reserve so we have already procured 8000 uh, cylinders which 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 are which are there at the disposal so that can always help in augmenting the bed capacity whenever you require i mean you had covid situation now there can be any other situation in future so keeping that in mind what would be the supply chains uh, uh, that, that that are essential supplies that would be required so making there are those kind of projection and, uh, and 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 be able to kind of say set up and augment the capacity within 24 and 48 hours so that kind of planning i think is required in order to kind of say prevent situation like this from happening again sharendra before we close i have to uh, to ask you to reflect a little bit uh, from uh, you know you have this unique window of being an insider outsider um and uh, i don't know uh, if you ever imagined uh, a situation where you know when you came in to advise the delhi government on its education policies uh, that you would find yourself in the midst of a truly uh, a horrific uh, crisis uh, of this nature uh, but what has that taught you about india's administrative capacity um and uh, what surprised you uh, most about the response in both positive and negative ways you know just if if you uh, to to step out of your government role back into your civil society role uh, you know we all have our uh, perceptions our our own cognitive maps through which we view bureaucracy especially at the front lines um and in popular culture in in india some of it is not untrue uh, the bureaucracy has a certain uh, image that is not necessarily very flattering um but you know when one gets in deep into uh, the weeds of what happens inside administration uh, we also realize how much uh, government actually works uh, sometimes not always productively but it's always at it uh, and it is ultimately the internal logic of uh, administration that moves one uh, that helps societies through moments of crisis such as this so what did you learn about bureaucracy democracy from this crisis um and what was what of your uh, uh pre-existing beliefs were re- reinforced uh, and which of those beliefs were challenged <laughs> so so personally speaking i think the last time oxygen gave me sleepless night was when i was taking my chemistry examination for the first <laughs> exam so so, so one can only wish it had stayed that right, way right right so i th- i thought oxygen uh, doesn't matter uh, there after but till it it came in this this manner to hold up again uh, but coming to to what my understanding yamini on this has been that that probably bureaucracy um, functions best in crisis situation <laughs> when there is a normal situation it is it can be good bad or ugly depending upon who is at the helm uh, but in terms of so, so you have a crisis situation you have a normal situation and you have a vision kind of a situation where you can visualize um, and think 
being future future instincts so in crisis situation it's it it works very well that has been my um, experience in the normal situation it would be more like like okay uh, again depending on the commitment of the officer cons concerned but in terms of being futuristic i my i have my own reservation that's not probably the the way bureaucracy is conditioned and that is where the role of the political leadership i think steps in the more futuristic the political leadership is the better output it can get from the same bureaucracy um, in terms of preparing for the future so so that's that's the big takeaway i would say uh, say it is so the political leadership becomes extremely critical in thinking ahead bureaucracy can manage your today situation bureaucracy can respond amazingly in the crisis situation and that i saw because as different elements of the administration steps in the whole the power structure the the rule books the the the, the distribution of responsibility it starts shaping up and everybody then takes up the because it is your responsibility to make sure that the situation uh, does not go out of out of control and in that again i am not discounting the individual valor of the of the officer concerned and we had two fabulous officers in udit prakash and uh, vijay biduri who were outstanding in those situation but what i would also say that ki they were aided by the same structure which they were representing to be able to perform the role that they they did they could have got away with with slightly less effort also but that was their personal commitment but the structure itself gave them immense power to use that power for good which which they did in those circumstances so as a result what would happen is when the crisis is brewing in haryana udit prakash can call his counterpart and there and and make sure and those hierarchy in the government would come to aid you see i am an ias officer of 2007 batch what's going on there so if that person happens to be a junior he would respond irrespective of the fact that you are from the different cadre so that kind of a of a structure uh, came to the to help if you wanted to seek help the the military the army came to uh, came to help and they offered their resources to be used in delhi as a result we could decant many of those uh, things there but it needed somebody to coordinate that effort and that nudge in this situation came from the courts so i think this formal what you say the the separation of power structure which is which is there uh, as a cornerstone in, in in the constitution i think it's it's a very uh, what you say say um, uh, important segment which needs to be understood and used now in terms of say normal situation what i would say is it's 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 more like say uh, uh, the kind of drive which is coming from the top leadership the kind of initiative that the concerned officer would like to like to take so 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 many factors play so as a result it becomes very important that you have your political leadership committed to the cause and once the bureaucracy realizes that the political leadership is is, is committed the courts are serious then you you see a different face of the same bureaucracy so i would say that that this is the factor and of course lastly uh, yamini i would not also discount the, our own like cultural uh, uh, factor 
I mean the way we are. I mean, generally, how serious we take the 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 warning or chalta hai attitude also. So at the same time, when you have people here, ये कोई बाहर से these are not outsiders. They are they are people of from the same society. So whatever values, whatever um, uh, biases we have, those are reflected in the working of the bureaucracy also. So it's 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 not very different. So as a result, I think it's a it's a mixed thing. But my, but to sum up my own thing, I would say my faith in the system uh, enhanced. I have no reasons to to believe that I have uh, that they let down. The situation was was that of a crisis, but but most of the people that, that I know of in this situation stepped up. And another interesting thing happens, Yamini, in the crisis. It's like a filter process. So only those people would be visible. or doing the things even if they are not visible so to say who have like a conviction and belief to have to 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 play that role others would 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 uh, on the on its own be sidelined or they, they themselves will take a step back also so you will have kind of say a very natural and organic situation emerging where people would take responsibility those who feel it is their responsibility those who believe in the cause they would be there and others would koi uh, would be like become fanciter or uh, they would not be there shelinder thank you so much you've ended uh, our conversation on uh, on a fairly optimistic uh, note and a very important reflection the logic and structure of uh, our uh, administration its own hierarchies and its red tape uh, that often uh, uh, we complain about and uh, often are over ritualized in ways that prevent the bureaucracy from responding in the normal everyday uh, actually do play uh, a role uh, particularly in a moment of crisis the bureaucracy is able to respond effectively in moments of crisis uh, in ways that fulfill uh, the core ethos of what it means to be an administrator what it means to be a public servant um, and uh, even as uh, there was mayhem in delhi in those very dark and difficult days uh, the backbone of the bureaucracy helped to at least create a context where some aid and support was provided shelinder your insights have been really very valuable i think the real big question that you uh, that, that you ended our conversation on uh, about what it would take to move the successful elements of bureaucracy that work in a crisis into enabling the bureaucracy to work better in the normal everyday and more importantly to be able to respond effectively uh, to the futuristic visions uh, that uh, occasional political leadership does present um, or even build its own internal ethos of a, a sense of organizational purpose and goal uh, of 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 public service uh, is something that we need to reflect a lot more about in our discussions on administrative reform and i hope to bring you back onto our podcast to discuss some of this uh, in greater detail detail particularly in the context of all the work on education thank you so much for joining us um and looking forward to another round of this conversation uh, very soon thank you so much yamini thank you for listening for more on cpr's work on covid-19 you can follow us on our twitter handle at cpr_india 
and visit our website at www.cprindia.org.